We use the term orphan, and we think of a child without parents. But so often, in so many places around the globe, these children actually do have parents. Quite often, they have a mother who loves them, a mother who simply felt forced to give the child up to an orphanage in hopes of a better life. But wouldn't it be wonderful if this loving mother didn't have to give up the child? Wouldn't it be better in these cases if the child were able to stay with her or his mother? Of course, it would. But making such a scenario possible would require, I don't know, a miracle? Today for the program, I've invited Leslie Beasley and Caroline Boudreau to join me to discuss the international organization they lead and their efforts in India to empower mothers to reunite families to prevent unnecessary separation, and to ensure every child grows up in a family. Miracle Foundation, today on the Edge of Adventure podcast. This is where adventure meets purpose, where we get to know those who live life beyond status quo. My name is Adam Asher, and this is the Edge of Adventure podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of the Edge of Adventure podcast. My name is Adam Asher. Great to have you with us and great to have Caroline and Leslie with me today, joining us from Miracle Foundation. We're going to get to know them and get to know this wonderful organization today. So let's start by just saying hello, Caroline and Leslie. Thanks for joining the show. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Adam. It's uh, great to meet you, and most importantly here, it's great to be able to share the wonderful, the remarkable story of Miracle Foundation and all that you guys are doing around the world. So let's start there, and I'll ask uh, Caroline. You're the founder, Caroline Boudreaux, founder at Miracle Foundation. Let's start with you and ask you a very, very tough question. It goes something like this. Tell us where Miracle Foundation works and what is at the heart of what you do. Miracle Foundation works in India and in the United States, and at the very heart of what we do is children, children enjoying the childhood that they all deserve. Well, let's talk about that then. The childhood that every child deserves, what is that? What does that look like? And how do you then, through Miracle Foundation, step in and help to make that happen for those kids that might not have that? And Caroline, I'll direct this question to you still. Yeah, I mean, I love that question because I never thought about that. I never thought about what children, what kind of childhood children deserve. It never really entered my stream of consciousness, that that conversation. But I used to be in television and uh, my friend and I were doing pretty well in the corporate world, but we thought there was something missing. So one day we decided that we were going to quit our jobs and take a trip around the world and have fun for one year. And so she wanted to go to India because she'd been sponsoring a little boy and she wanted to go see if he was real, which I thought was just a bunch of bunk. I just thought there was no way this kid was real. But we went to India. We went to this really remote village in India in the state of Odisha and met the little boy that she'd been sponsoring in good faith. He was real. And then we started doing volunteer work in this village every day. It was 119 degrees. It was super remote. It was 45 minutes off a paved road. And um, we were going there every day. And then one day, uh, one of the locals invited us to his house for dinner. So I got up early in the morning, called my mom because it was Mother's Day, called my mom, wished her a happy Mother's Day, 
went to the village and worked in the village in that 119 degree heat all day and then went to this guy's house for dinner and walked into his orphanage. We were greeted by 110 filthy, bald, empty looking children. I had never seen anything like it. We had a beautiful prayer service with them. We had um, dinner with them, which was just rice and some sugar. After dinner, we were playing with the children and holding them. And we were calling them Velcro babies because they were just attaching to us. And this little baby girl came and put her head on my knee and I picked her up and started singing her the lullaby that my mother used to sing to me because I hadn't forgotten for a second that it was Mother's Day. And I picked up this little baby girl, rocked her to sleep. She fell asleep in my arms. And when I went to put her in her room, I, I walked into this room with these 30 wooden beds. And just the minute I put that orphan girl on a wooden bed on Mother's Day, I thought, somebody's got to help these children. And that was just that was the beginning of, of Miracle Foundation. Well, I have to say, when I hear you say somebody has to do something, you know, something to that effect, that <laughs> that right there is the sentiment that I hear over and over when I talk to these great people like you two that are doing these great things around the world and doing what they can to make a difference. And there is that moment in time where, where you just realize something has to be done and that something is going to require <laughs> something of me. And so, uh, Caroline, we'll, we'll get into your story a little bit more, and it's going to be a great few minutes as we get to know Miracle Foundation, you and also Leslie. But let me turn now to Leslie. Leslie is the CEO, and Leslie, I think you've been there about three or four years as CEO, but you've been with the organization for longer than that. What drew you to Miracle Foundation? <laughs> well, Caroline and I have known each other for many years. And, about 18. Yeah, about 18 years. And we would meet one-on-one -on -one week after week for years. So I obviously, because of that, I knew what Miracle Foundation was all about and the mission. And that's what drew me to it. What for me, just like with Caroline, my background's in business. And I had been volunteering in orphanages. I will tell you that I, I went to a lot of orphanages and it's hard to find what people would call a good orphanage. Um, I visited many bad orphanages. And I was, so when I say that um, the orphanages for most children that are growing up around our world in orphanages in the United States, oftentimes our pets are in better conditions. So because of that experience, I decided I'm going to put my business experience together with looking at orphanages and I'm going to come up with a great model to have the best orphanage for kids. So I went to Uganda and I started uh, touring these like good orphanages. And along the way, I was sidetracked. A friend said, I have one thing that's not exactly on your mission right now. And it was in a refugee camp. And I went into this refugee camp and there were about 200 women and um, the drums were just, I just could hear drums beating this rhythmic African drums. And I walked into this group of 200 women and before anybody said a word, they just started dancing, grabbed my hand and started dancing. And um, this moment was one of those moments, Adam, that, that you're talking about that changed my life because 
we danced for about 45 minutes. And then once we were finished, which I've never done that before, um, one of the women said to me through a translator, now that we have celebrated each other's presence, now we can sit down and talk. And in that moment, I started talking to um, a couple of these women and most had been, they'd been displaced from Northern Uganda. The vast majority, well, all of them had been raped. The vast majority had children. Many of these children were as a result of the violence of the rape. And because their families felt like this was a curse, they could no longer stay home. So they had to go now um, live in this refugee camp. So um, it, it's the kind of stories that you want to just curl up in a ball. Um, I would want to curl up in a ball. Um, and not go on. And so what inspired me was the resiliency of these women. And what changed for me was realizing that these women would do anything for these kids. They'll sacrifice everything, everything for these kids. And what I realized is we don't need to separate these children from these single moms, no matter how poor no matter what, the best place for this kid is with a fierce mom who will do anything to take care of them. And my worldview changed. And I, I realized at that moment, it's about empowering these women to take care of these children as opposed to making a great orphanage for where kids can live. That's the voice of Leslie Beasley. She's CEO at Miracle Foundation and also with us today, Caroline Boudreaux the founder. They're both with us today, and it's great to have them on the show and great to get to know them, their hearts, and then also the heart and the soul of Miracle Foundation. Caroline, how do you empower these women such that they don't have to say goodbye to their kids? Yeah, there's two things that you have to do. Number, if you want to make sure every kid has a family, which is what we're all about, we're trying to make sure every child grows up in a family. You have to reunite children that are in orphanages, transition children from orphanages into families, and, you know, with these tiger women that are their mothers. You know, they got, you got to reunite them. So that's what Miracle Foundation does. And then the second thing you have to do is you have to prevent them from entering the system in the first place. So in India, those are the, and globally, those are the two things we do. We reunite children with their families and we prevent them from entering the system in the first place. And since Leslie has such a business background and so much work in the United States, um, when she joined us, she started doing, we started working in foster care. So we started taking these same ideas and applying them to the foster care space. So we connect the U.S. foster care system as well. And Adam, one fact that most people, I would say the vast majority of the general population they don't know is that 85% of children that are living in orphanages around the world, the entire world, not just where we're doing our work, have a living mom. In most cases, it's mom, mom or dad. 85% of what we call in the world orphans have a living parent. And in most cases, it's a mom, a single mom. It's kind of mind boggling because we think, wait, I thought an orphan didn't have parents, but um, usually it's poverty. They can't feed them or they feel like they can't educate them. And again, a mom's going to do the absolute best for their kid. So if they think they can get a better education in an orphanage or they think they can get three meals a day, then that's what they'll do. 
So the question is, why wouldn't we empower that child to stay with the family through education and food instead of separating them? This is like a systemic change, trying to sort of change the way that maybe we instinctively think about caring for orphans or what we term as orphans. How are you going about that to actually retrain the people to think differently and also to offer them then the opportunity to say, okay, here's how we can help such that you don't have to give that child up. You have to do several things. First of all, you have to change the narrative. You have to make sure that people understand that orphanages are not the best place for a child, that really children belong in families. And I have to say in the last three or four years, we have seen a sea change in people understanding that orphanages are not the best place for children. Children belong in families. That, that narrative has changed. The next thing you have to do is you have to change the approach. So you have to train the social workers, the gatekeepers on the ground. You know, when a child is being separated from their family, when a father dies or leaves and a mother's single and, and she goes, she's going to local government officials, she's going to local social workers to say that she needs help. So we need to train those social workers. So we train thousands of social workers every single year in looking for ways to keep families together as opposed to looking for ways to rescue a kid. So how do you make sure that they stay together? And that's the work of changing the approach, which is training the social workforce. And then, of course, you have to educate the people on the ground. You have to educate the community so that they know when a father dies or leaves. They know long before this, that children ever have to contact a social worker. So training people in the community to help and pay attention. So it's all this great work of really empowering people on the ground, training people when we know better, we do better and then empowering women on the ground to keep their children. Leslie, tell me about the wonderful staff, the people that work with Miracle Foundation here and, and elsewhere to make this happen. Are you proud of the people you work with? Yeah, that's, that's just almost like I feel like an understatement. We're so proud of the staff because the staff that's on the ground making this happen day in and day out, our, on both sides, on the U.S. and in India, we have teams on both sides. We call them, they're the heroes, just pouring out because they want to do something bigger than themselves. They, they're going to stand with these kids. We just had one of our team members that hit her nine-year anniversary and has lots of different opportunities. And one of the things that we, she just keeps um, digging in and saying, I'm not, I'm not leaving these kids. I'm going to stand with these kids. Um, we're committed in our lifetime to end the need for institutional care. So that's our goal is to, you know, put ourselves out of business is to end the need for institutional care and the staff. They're so passionate and, you know, a lot of people could go and work in corporate America and make more money. And, um, but this, this is a team of um, committed individuals who will not give up on these kids. And it's inspiring. It inspires me. It inspires Caroline every day. This is the Edge of Adventure podcast. And I wanted to take a quick minute to say thank you. This program now has listeners all around the globe from Northern Ireland to the South Pacific. And it's been great to see how the Edge of Adventure is now reaching more and more people people like you who are called to a life of adventure and purpose. Just recently, I found out that this podcast was among the most listened to in Egypt. What an honor. So I think to that, I must say 
Shakurang Shasilang. And thank you all. Please help me spread the word, share the podcast, subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And as always, check out theedgeofadventure.com for more. Thanks, guys. Let's, uh, let's get back now to the conversation today with Caroline and Leslie at Miracle Foundation. This is The Edge of Adventure. My name is Adam Asher. Great to have you with us on the show today. And of course, we're getting to know Miracle Foundation. Leslie Beasley is the CEO. She's with us today. And also with us, Caroline Boudreau. She is the founder. Let's talk effectiveness. Let's talk being able to track this. You know, we think about the term analytics a lot. You know, can you look at this and say, okay, we know when and where it's working well. We know when and where we need to change something, so on and so forth. How do you measure the success of, of your efforts? It's a great question and one that we're really proud of because this is one of our foundational tenets of Miracle Foundation is to have really ironclad measurement and evaluation. We have a methodology where we measure the well-being of the child. It's codified. It's based on the right, the UN rights of the child. So we have social workers that go in and literally look at these um, measurements. Is this child getting what they need with nutritious food? Are they being, are they safe? Are they in a healthy environment? Are they letting their uh, voice be heard? Do they have a voice in their family or in this setting? Um, just these 23 rights we measure. And so this met, comes into what we call our thrive scale. And we're able to see, are they increasing? Children have rights. Are these rights in getting better and better or are they getting worse? So it's a real tight system that we have shared around the globe. Um, it's trademarked and we love sharing this with um, organizations and partners all over the world because it's a very ironclad way to make sure a child is safe and in reunifications that it can be a permanent placement. Leslie, you mentioned, I think you said 23 established rights per the UN. Okay, well, we don't have time to go over all 23. But if you were to generalize or summarize sort of the spirit of those mm -hmm. 23 rights, what are the rights of a child? I mean, what, what do we think of and say, you know, this child, no matter where they are in the world, has a right to this? Can I take that? Yeah. So this, is, yeah. this is my favorite subject. So in 1989, the United Nations got together and they agreed that all children on all continents had the same fundamental rights. Doesn't matter what country you are, religion, sect, caste, doesn't matter. You have the same fundamental rights. 183 countries agreed that all children have the right to be heard and participate in decisions that affect them. They have the right to health care. They have the right to nutrition. They have the right to grow up in a family. They have the right to a safe, loving, nurturing environment. They have the right to spiritual development. They have the right to education. They have the right to clean water and electric power. And so we took each one of those rights and we codified them and we're looking for impact. So for example, a child has the right to health care and nutrition. So we take the height and weight of every child and we plot it against a growth chart. And then we take the hemoglobin of every child, which measures the amount of iron in their blood. So we know if they're eating, we know if they're getting clean water, we know if they're getting vaccinated, 
And the people that are taking the measurements know that we're going to measure. So they make sure these kids get fed and they get their um, they get their vaccinations and they get their health care. And we do that for 23 different rights. So it's a pretty incredible um, way to measure impact. And it works like a charm. And by the way, don't think for a second that the children don't know exactly how much weight they have to gain to get on that chart. They know exactly what they have to eat. They know because we're training them and talking to them about what they need. So all children on all continents have the same fundamental rights. You can't give them to them. They have to realize them. They have to be activated. You can't give them something that they already have. So um, that's the work of the Miracle Foundation and hundreds of other organizations that we work with. And Adam, I'll stay here to, to dovetail on that. You heard her say the right to be heard, to express their view and decisions. And I don't know, I don't know that many people, many parents, I'm a mom, know that that's a right of a child. And at Miracle Foundation, we make sure that kids know that that's their right to speak up for themselves. So we listen to the kids. We ask them, what do they want? And this whole movement to get children back in families is based on children, what they want. The very first thing they say when you ask a child in an orphanage, what do you want? What are you thinking about? What's important to you? Without exception, I want to be in a family. They want to go home. They want to be home. And I oftentimes will say that as just human beings and we're thinking about this work, a lot of times people think of, you know, those children, like other people's children. We wouldn't treat our own children that way, but we would treat other people's children that way. And this is part of the narrative change is that the world's children are all of our children. We all need to stand up for these children because they need to have a voice and they need to have someone standing for them. So we can't just take care of our own little space with two, three children and treat them one way, but treat all children the same way. That's their right. Getting to know the Miracle Foundation today here on the Edge of Adventure. If you're just joining us again, my name is Adam Asher. Always great to have you with us. And my guests today, Leslie Beasley, she's the CEO, and Caroline Boudreaux, she's the founder. Both of these ladies are clearly very passionate about what they're doing. And clearly, they have a love for these kids. So I'm going to ask you, Caroline, where does this love that you have for these kids, where does that come from? I don't think we're any different than anybody else. I think everybody has the same wants. I think all humans have the same wants. We all want to love and be loved. We all want our families to be healthy, happy, and taken care of. And we all want to make a difference. And so when Leslie met the women that were loving their children, even though they were products of rape, and I met children in an orphanage, we saw we had our aha moment of a way to really make a difference in the world, to, to put ourselves out there to make a difference. And that's what we get to do every day. That's what we offer people every day is an opportunity to do something with your life. And so, um, like Leslie said, you know, other people's children, the future of philanthropy is really taking care of other people's children the way we take care of our own and understanding that they all belong to us. So this is an opportunity to really give back and make a difference with our life and do something that that really makes a difference. We both made money, not very fulfilling. It's so much better to, to help people have the childhood they deserve. It's a lot more fun. Leslie, 
regarding some of the locations where Miracle Foundation works, what do you like, or maybe I should say, what do you love about these locations? We do our work, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of our work and where we began was in India. And, you know, this feel seems so cliche to say, I'd like to have a more clever answer, but it's the people. For me, it's these, number one, the resiliency of these kids that you meet and just how clever and smart and they're what they see and what if you give them a chance, um, it's just it's inspiring. And then the women always inspire me. So inspired by these women and in the, these places where we work, I mean, India, particularly if you haven't been there, it's just full of color. The women wear a lot of beautiful colors, if, as, as even if you haven't been there, you've seen on TV. And it's just I think that there's this message that when even living in the deepest of poverty and with so many strikes against you, there's this feeling of hope. And so whenever I get on the ground there where we're doing work on the ground, I'm super inspired by that. And then, you know, we do our work in the U.S. Yeah. And um, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, the first rung uh, of the ladder of success for these kids in foster care is 10 feet tall. But once you get them on that ladder, they just climb. We're, we're shocked at the resiliency of them and what they what they bring to the table and what they're willing to do to make sure they succeed. And then what they do to make sure that other people succeed after them. I mean, their give back factor is about 10 times so many of ours. They, they're just remarkable. We're the lucky ones for getting to know them. What happens if a child in one of these less than ideal situations, you know, uh, a child that's suffering. What happens if that child doesn't get help? Yeah, you know, if, if, if we don't take care of them in childhood, we're going to end up taking care of them while they're drug addicted, while they're in prison, while they're homeless, while they're on the streets, while they might be, you know, making some danger. We, we're going to take care of people one way or another. So if you get them while they're children and while they're malleable and while they're educable, and while they're, you know, before the, the world gets to them, um, the difference is just unbelievable. So, you know, I suggest this is this is the most upstream group of people you can support is the most upstream way to make a truly big impact in the world. But, you know, the statistics are not very good for kids that aren't cared for, that don't have a very good childhood, that, that the damage is generational. And so, um, it's best that we can we can do something about it now. And so that sense of urgency is in us. You probably hear that in me and Leslie, that sense of urgency that we have, that we have to act right now every single day um, is, is what it's going to take so that we can prevent some of these problems down, down the road. That's the voice of Caroline Boudreaux, founder at Miracle Foundation. Also with us today, Leslie Beasley, CEO at this remarkable organization. Thinking of a couple of things now as we turn the attention to some practical questions. Use of technology, the world has changed so much. Well, it's changed a lot since last year, to be honest with you, but yeah. certainly through the years, times have changed. Technology, how are you putting it to use for good? Oh, I'm glad you asked I know, that. it's such a bailiwick. You're yeah. so good at this. Uh, so you're right. Uh, technology is uh, changing. It's changed so much in the last year, but it's just changing so rapidly. And what technology allows us to do is to have exponential impact. 
one of the things that we're doing on the on the um, global side is this thrive scale that you heard us talk about where we've codified the rights of the child 23 rights we have put that into technology called our thrive scale so what happens is now that instead of like pen and paper and social workers on the ground or now trying to enter it somewhere and it's just a very more slow process now we have the capability to deploy this technology over the entire country right on an app right in the palm of their hand and world so we're we're just absolutely delighted about that we're delighted that we live in a day and time where we can actually have this kind of technology because 20 years ago when when miracle foundation started it wasn't even an option it had to be pen and paper but now the workers on the ground they have some they have something in the palm of their hand some sort of device and now they can just enter it get that information and what that means is more and more of the social workforce like social workers government employees now they have access to this methodology so now they know oh it's not in the best interest of the child to put them straight into an orphanage which in the past that was the very first option so that's one and then they have this very methodical process to work through the data can be collected so the whole thing is exponential and then on the u.s side we're deploying an app it actually comes out um, like in about 30 days that we are deploying an app for the foster care system so adam this is like this is a you know we're talking about two sets of vulnerable children and on the u.s side they're not sitting in orphanages they're sitting in foster care and the the issue in the u.s foster care system is if a child a average child bounces from family to family and averages seven times seven times seven times that means every time they bounce they lose six months of academic progress every time they bounce because they get behind they might have to switch schools they're disrupted they're in trauma and so by the time they bounce seven times they're so far behind there's it's really almost impossible to catch up so this technology that we're deploying around the United States and we're starting here where our headquarters is in Austin, we're starting in Texas, is um, it the whole concept is to lessen that bounce so that a child that's waiting to be reunified with their family and they're in foster care can be stabilized. So we're really excited about these two pieces of technology uh, globally and locally. Ladies, have you found that working with the governments involved, whether state or local or federal governments, depending on the country, right? Is that a challenge? Is it a barrier? Is it going well? Yeah, you know, one of the things about working with the government is you're really working with people. You're really just working with individual people. And political will is just a matter of convincing the people that are making the decisions on the ground that they're the heroes, really making them the heroes listening to them, caring for them. We, we really haven't had that many barriers with the government because government signed that United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child. And that's what Miracle Foundation is all about. They've agreed to that in writing. So we haven't had that much resistance with anybody because that's what we push. We push the rights of the child. They've agreed to the rights of the child. So we're in alignment. And I will say too, there's an economic benefit. Yeah, that's right. To having a child in a family it is five times 
I mean, this is data, hard data, five times more expensive for a child to grow up in an orphanage than it is a home. So um, there's an economic case for the government, too. So we're finding that um, they're motivated. Leslie, how are things in India? Our heart goes out to that nation in particular right now during the current crisis. I know that you guys are standing by them in a very special way. How are they doing? Your people on the ground there, too. Yeah, um, it's awful. Yeah. It's awful. I mean, I think, um, you know, we're, we, we are just heartbroken. Um, we've had of our, our, we have staff all over India and they've lost, we have a lot of death, um, within our own staff's families. They've lost mothers and fathers and cousins and uncles and aunts. And, um, there's been a lot of suffering just within our own staff. There's a lot of children who are becoming orphaned because their parents are dying of COVID. Everything that you're seeing on the news and you're hearing about, it's, it's real. You know, we're meeting with our, our team in India via Zoom every morning. And um, these stories are real. It's, it's hard. It's hard. But, you know, I think that there's always that optimism. And I think that's, you know, what we're seeing is that, you know, we get through the hard, but the day is coming and we're going to get through this. Um, but people are suffering. No question about it. We're, we're sending relief packages uh, with food um, to families who absolutely cannot get access to food. I mean, they can't. They're being told not to leave. They can't work. A lot of them are day workers. They can't work. There's no work. So they can't eat. And they're used to eating daily. I mean, like you buy it that day, you get your money, you buy it the next day. It's like talk about hand to mouth, hand to mouth daily. It's it's truly I think sometimes for some of us, um, it's hard to imagine. But so we're sending relief. We're deploying relief packages. We just um, today deployed three hundred and forty thousand. 340,000 masks to high risk communities that are very vulnerable, that are just like lifting up their shirt or put, trying to put their scarf over them because they can't buy masks. Um, so we were able to get, um, you know, hundreds of thousands out today. And today we're also deploying uh, food and uh, what we're calling relief packages. And we also have hygiene packages that go with that as well to help them keep sanitized and from catching COVID. So to, to about 180,000 people. So we're really doing a lot of work with families that we've already worked with, families that are desperate. And so we're on the ground standing with our with our friends and family in India. It's beautiful. This is The Edge of Adventure, and you're hearing two voices today, two ladies who have joined me from Miracle Foundation. Leslie Beasley is CEO, and Caroline Boudreaux is the founder. And as we get toward the end of the program today, it's time to have you challenge us. I'm going to let Caroline challenge us. What do we need to hear? What do we need to do? What would you tell us? Hey, this is what you need to keep in mind. And, and perhaps even this is how you can help this situation worldwide. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, nothing's heavy if everyone lifts. And we're, you know, we're in these three phases of philanthropy. The old phase was the first phase. It was the Rockefellers and the Carnegies, and they had done so well, and they wanted to put their names on libraries and buildings, and it was just like a way to, to leave a legacy. 
And then the second phase of philanthropy was really when we became social scientists, like Leslie saying, you know, we started collecting data, we started measuring impact, we started making sure that things were actually working and people have gotten Miracle Foundation is really good at that. Organizations are really, really good at that. And the next phase of philanthropy is really where we, we are going. And that means that everybody participates. Everybody does something to help the people at the bottom of the pyramid. If we all put ourselves in, if we all put 10% in, or we all put our time or talent or treasure, we could fix these problems and our children wouldn't have to, to, look, to look at it. So my challenge is, you know, I think our children are going to look at us and they're going to think, you let kids just sit in an orphanage and go hunt. What did y'all like, like we do with our ancestors with slavery? Like you guys own people. What are you crazy? Our kids are going to look at us like that if we don't step up. So it's time for, that's my challenge. Everybody needs to step up, donate to a nonprofit that's working with people at the bottom of the pyramid and donate monthly. And we can fix some of these problems in the next 10 years. And I'll just say, Adam, she said donate monthly to the listeners. The reason she's saying that is organizations need to budget so those monthly donors, as opposed to just one-offs, are, are our heroes. They're our heroes because, and, and we love those one-off too, don't get me wrong, but it gives you the chance to sit down and go, oh, this is how much is coming in monthly, so then you can budget, and then you can really make some decisions on behalf of the kids. So um, as you've pointed out multiple times, MiracleFoundation.org, we'd love for um, your listeners to think about Miracle Foundation and help us get these kids home and help us in this U.S. foster system as well. Because we're going to solve this. We are solving this. And, you know, once we do it once, you don't ever have to do it again. Hey, I wasn't going to ask another question, but I'm going to just I'm going to ask this this final question here. Did all of those years in business prepare you for what you're doing now? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A thousand percent. And this is this is the deal. We think of business and nonprofits as two different things, but but they shouldn't be. You know, people who are really good at business need to be getting into the nonprofit field because this is where we can solve these humanitarian issues. This is where we can really be a part of a bigger story. And um, those two things need to merge for sure. Complete preparation. You know, the two of you separately, but also combined that you're such a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> I can see you running businesses. Yeah, I can see you running businesses. And I'm so glad, you know, you have this heart to contribute to the world in this way. And I know Miracle Foundation is blessed the kids and the families and the moms that you guys have reached out to and touched and, and blessed in this way. It, it's a big deal. So on behalf of them, I'm just going to say thank you, ladies. It is making a difference. And thank you for what you do. And thank you for joining me today for the program. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thank you for having us. So check them out, everybody. It is MiracleFoundation.org. That's the website, MiracleFoundation.org. My guests today have been Leslie Beasley. She's the CEO. And Caroline Boudreaux. She's the founder at Miracle Foundation. You'll find them all across social media. And of course, you'll find them at miraclefoundation.org, where you can get to know them, you can support them, you can, uh, if nothing else, right? Here's you got to at least do this much: reach out to them and encourage them, and let them know you see them and you see what they're doing, and you appreciate it. So, with that, we'll wrap up the show again, ladies. I appreciate your time. God bless you, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We really appreciate it. 
My name is Adam Asher, and you've been listening to the Edge of Adventure podcast. To learn more, log on to theedgeofadventure.com. And while you're there, check out the video series where we go off the grid to discover some of the great things people are doing all around the globe to make the world a better place. I call it my search for adventure and purpose. You'll find us on social media too. Just look for the hashtag, The Edge of Adventure. Thanks for joining us. Always great to have you with us as together we aim to live life for something bigger than ourselves. This is The Edge of Adventure, where we go beyond status quo. Beyond status quo.